This is the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. We study verse by verse through the Bible and share music filled with God's Word. Let's start today by listening through Acts chapter 13, verses 13 through 37. Now Paul and his company set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. John departed from them and returned to Jerusalem. But they, passing on from Perga, came to Antioch of Poseidon. They went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. After reading the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, speak. Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people chose our fathers and exalted the people when they stayed as aliens in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out of it. For a period of about forty years, he put up with them in the wilderness. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land for an inheritance for about four hundred and fifty years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Afterward, they asked for a king, and God gave to them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. When he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, to whom he also testified, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. From this man's offspring, God has brought salvation to Israel according to his promise. Before his coming, when John had first preached the baptism of repentance to Israel, as John was fulfilling his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but behold, one comes after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, children of the stock of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, the word of this salvation is sent out to you, for those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they didn't know him, nor the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled him by condemning him. Though they found no cause for death, they still asked Pilate to have him killed. When they had fulfilled all things that were written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and he was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. We bring you good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled the same to us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus, as it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have become your father. Concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he has spoken thus, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see decay. For David, after he had in his own generation served the counsel of God, fell asleep, and was laid with his fathers and saw decay. But he whom God raised up saw no decay. 
Let's keep reading. They went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. As mentioned earlier in this chapter, Paul would make a habit out of seeking out the Jews when he first came to a new region and proclaiming Christ to them in their synagogues. Verse 15. After the reading of the Law and the Prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, speak. In the first century, a synagogue service would start with prayers and then a reading from the Law and the Prophets. After that, any qualified person of high education in attendance would be invited to commentate based on the readings. Paul would have certainly met those requirements and for sure wasn't timid in speaking out. Let's read part of Paul's synagogue sermon. Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people chose our fathers and exalted the people when they stayed as aliens in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out of it. For a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land for an inheritance for about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Afterward, they asked for a king, and God gave to them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. When he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, to whom he also testified, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. From this man's offspring, God has brought salvation to Israel according to his promise. You may notice this sermon here kind of follows somewhat after the pattern of Stephen's sermon from Acts chapter 7, in that Stephen started by giving a sort of survey of some of Israel's history. And Paul does the same. He mentions the calling of the patriarchs, Israel's deliverance from Egypt, their trial in the wilderness, their acquisition of the promised land, the time of the judges, and then that of the kings. Remember, Paul was there at the stoning of Stephen. Perhaps his sermon had an impact on Paul. And as we mentioned when we covered Acts 7, this pattern of surveying through Israel's history is also found a few times, for example, in the Psalms. Another example is Hebrews chapter 11, where the author nearly chronologically works his way through highlighting people of faith from the Old Testament. Perhaps Paul, in surveying Israel's history, was accomplishing a few things. One, it was common ground for which his fellow Jews could connect and relate. Perhaps he was attempting to thread the themes of the readings into his speech. Two, Paul's scriptural historical knowledge could have earned him respect and the ears of the congregation. Three, like Stephen in a sermon that got him stoned in Acts chapter 7, Paul was heading somewhere with all this. The history was leading to a climactic point and greater revelation. It was all about Jesus. The promised Savior is the culmination of history. God's plan is our redemption in Christ. Paul mentions that God had raised up David to be their king, to whom he also testified. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, 
who will do all my will. From this man's offspring, God has brought salvation to Israel according to his promise. He gets as far as David in his survey through history, using this moment to springboard into the message of salvation through Christ. You see, King David was an appropriate Old Testament type for Christ. David was a man after God's own heart. And God said about David, He will do all my will. In a small and imperfect sense, this was King David. But in a greater and more complete sense, this would be Jesus. Jesus said in John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus only did the will of God, and he did it all the time and perfectly. This quote-unquote greater David, from the loins of David, but of whom David himself called Lord, is our salvation. God indeed brought salvation to Israel according to his promise. Let's dive into more of Paul's synagogue sermon, starting in verse 24. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. As John was fulfilling his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but behold, one comes after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. The rabbi tradition of that time taught that while the disciple was expected to serve the teacher in various ways, undoing the strap of the rabbi's sandal was considered to be too demeaning. But John the Baptist flips that concept on its head as it relates to Jesus, implying that untying the feet of Jesus would have been a privilege for which he wasn't even worthy. John the Baptist was communicating how immensely greater Jesus was to him, to all of us. Let's keep reading. Brothers, children of the stock of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, the word of this salvation is sent out to you. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they didn't know him, nor the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. Though they found no cause for death, they still asked Pilate to have him killed. When they had fulfilled all things that were written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and he was seen for many days with those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. We bring you good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this to us, their children, and that he raised up Jesus. All right, to me, this part of the sermon actually sounds very similar to some of Peter's sermons preached earlier here in the book of Acts, which I think demonstrates Paul was in step with Peter in his understanding and preaching of the gospel. Paul asserts in his letter to the Galatians that he received the gospel from a direct revelation through Jesus Christ, and not from man. Seeing his message in step with Peter's is confirmation that both men preached the same gospel as commissioned by our Lord Jesus. So what did Paul preach here as the gospel? He references him as innocent and blameless in verse 28. He teaches that Jesus' death was the fulfillment of Scripture. He proclaims Jesus as being hung on a tree, laid in a tomb, and then raised from the dead 
to be seen by chosen witnesses. He mentions this as good news, as the fulfilled promise made to Israel. Indeed, the gospel is good news. Jesus, the innocent and perfect Messiah of God, died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, was buried, and was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the gospel. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared to chosen witnesses and commanded his followers to proclaim this good news of salvation in him to the world. In verse 29, Paul calls the cross a tree. Peter and the apostles do the same in Acts chapter 5.30 when speaking before the high priest upon their arrest, stating, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Paul likewise here in Acts chapter 13 was alluding to Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 to 23, which says, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. Since Paul was preaching to the Jews, they could make the connection of Jesus being hung on a tree to that verse. The underlying lesson is that Jesus was cursed by God, manifest by his death on a tree. And like the law prescribes, he was buried the same day. But the thing is, Jesus was perfect. He wasn't paying the penalty for his own sins, but for ours. You see, we've all transgressed God's law. We've all sinned. These crimes against our Maker deserve death. But Jesus, without sin and perfect, bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He took upon Himself the cursing we deserved from God for our sin. And through His cursing, we who believe are blessed. So the Apostle Paul, by using the term tree to describe the cross, was essentially communicating to his fellow Jews that Jesus was cursed so that they could be blessed. Paul would more fully flush out this concept to which he alludes here in this Acts chapter 13 sermon when he later writes in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. In Paul's sermon in the synagogue, after mentioning Jesus having been raised from the dead, he then refers to some Old Testament texts in connection with his claim. Let's read on. Paul said, As it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, Today I have become your father. God raising Jesus from the dead validated his claim as the unique son of God. Paul's essentially saying, This Jesus, whom God raised from the dead, is the father's only begotten son. Verse 34. Concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he has spoken thus. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to see decay. For David, after he had in his own generation served the counsel of God, 
fell asleep and was laid with his fathers in saw decay. But he whom God raised up saw no decay. Paul uses Isaiah 55 verse 3 and Psalm 16 verse 10 to essentially prove the resurrection of Christ. He asserts, for example, that Psalm 16.10 wasn't really about David, but about the Christ. David saw decay, like his body rotted in the grave. But this psalm promises God's Holy One will not see corruption. Jesus didn't see corruption, though he was dead for three days. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus is the Holy One of God. And Paul's basically saying here, his resurrection absolutely proves it. Forever with 
That was good news from the Adams Road album, Book of Life.
This is the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. You can learn more about us at AdamsRoadMinistry.com. Again, that's AdamsRoadMinistry.com. We release a new podcast episode every Saturday. Join us next episode as we examine Acts chapter 13, verses 35 to 44. Grace and peace be with you all.